Glory be to God. So, the second implication is that God is not visible. If you say God is a spirit, it means God is not visible. I'm saying God is not visible. What does it mean? It means we cannot see. God is not visible. So now, because God is not visible, He should not be described by any kind of image or any kind of drawing. So it is very, very wrong for men to have a picture or a drawing of a God who is not invisible. His essence, his nature, is his invisibility. Amen. So the images or the pictures you have in your mind, sorry to say, is not God. Maybe in your mind you see one big being sitting on the tree. Or maybe you are reading the book of Revelation. As you are reading, you are imagining. Maybe you read the book of Ezekiel. As you are reading, you are imagining. What you are doing is imagination. God is invisible. So now, if God is a spirit, how can we live knowing God is a spirit? We said he is not limited by time. He is not limited by space. Meaning he is here right now. How do we live in the light that God is a what? The spirit. How? So that John chapter 4, verse 24. Let's what did he say again? Let's read it again. John 4 verse 24. Let's read it again. It says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They must worship him in spirit and in truth. It says, God is a spirit. If God is not restrained, if God cannot be constrained, if God is invisible, then we must worship Him in what? So to worship Him in spirit will be to worship Him in His what? Character. In His nature. That is, we must learn to relate with Him as He is. We said God is not constrained by time. He's not limited by distance. He is not material. He is invisible. So if we are to worship God in spirit, we are to worship God in that reality. Amen. 
Sodom says, they that worship God must worship God. Look at the way it's going up. says, they must. <laughs> so your worship of God has not yet started. If it's not in the spirit. Anyway, it means your worship. It says, they must. Must. Are you here? So it says, it is a what? A must. A must. So, what we are talking about worship, what does it imply? Is it just talking about singing to God? No. It's talking about all around service to God. Amen. It's talking about all around as we are ready to give Him pleasure, as we are ready to please Him. All around service to God. If you must learn to please Him, you must learn to please Him in spirit and in truth. Meaning that we must enter into His own reality. Amen. So how can we enter His own reality except by His own spirit? So it is His spirit that brings us to that reality. So it is impossible for you to exist in that realm of God except you are in the world, the spirit. It is impossible for you to worship God in eternity. It is impossible for you to worship a God that you cannot see. Impossible. It is impossible for you to worship a God that is not restrained or constrained in a space. Did you get it? So, the Spirit gives us that better advantage to relate with Him that way. Hallelujah. Now, when we say we worship God in spirit and in truth, we can also look at it in two different ways. Hallelujah. It will imply two things. The first one is to mean we must worship God with all our being, sincere and profound. See, we must worship God sincerely and if we say we are being sincere, we can only be sincere in his own element. Amen. So that is why those who are not born again, they cannot find any sincerity in worshiping God. So they travel to the mountains to look for God. God does not live in the mountain. God is not restrained to a mountain. You get it? They are going to look for God at the mountain. So Jesus Christ said, no, your fathers, they, they worship God at the mountain. He says, but now, you don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. Because that God that you will get, you think that that God, you have restrained him in the holies of holies. You think that he is there. You have kept him. The God cannot be kept in a place. Amen. She says, men would not need to come to Jerusalem anymore. Men would not need to come to the mountain anymore before they can have an encounter with this God. But now, I am now giving them a platform, which is the Spirit. That when they enter into the Spirit, they can relate with God. Amen. 
So this one will not be a true worship. Because you are now serving God in his true nature, in his true element. So now, they needed to see things. They needed to see light. They needed to see fire. They needed to see things. But when it comes to the spirit, you don't need to see anything because it is within you. Everything is happening where? Within you. So we walk by faith in this thing and not by what sight. So the true worship of God must be by what? By faith. We learned it last week. That without faith it is impossible to work, to please God. Hallelujah. Amen. So when we are talking about sincerity, it means we must be in the spirit. So another implication is that we can only worship God under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, the Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the what? sons of, what? of God. Meaning that when we got into the Spirit, we submitted ourselves under a particular government, which is known as the what? the Spirit. Amen. So it is this government that teaches us how to go about our worship of this invisible and unrestrained being. Hallelujah. So it is only the Spirit that can teach us how to do it. So sometimes the Spirit will come. Sing. Worship God. The moment you say, no, you are not just being disobedient, but you are rebelling against a government. Do you see? You are rebelling against a rulership which makes you a child, a what? A baby. So true spiritual maturity is to the degree we have learned to follow that direction, that governing power of the spirits. The money in all the money in your hands, drop it in the offering book. Say no. This is what it means to worship God is greater. That you have submitted yourself under the rulership, the governance of the world, the spirit. So you are not just in the spirit. It is true that you are already in the spirit. First, secondly, you must be subjected to the world, government. You have submitted your support under. Amen. So many people may be saying that they are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. But in reality, they are not. Because you still want to follow or pursue your own desires. For example, now, today, the Holy Spirit has to minister or to say, Oh, my friend, somebody who is not in church, say, Go to church today. Now, if the person should rebel, now, I will not go. 
He is not putting himself under the rulership of the Holy Spirit. He is not accepting the direction. So if the Spirit says, go to church, and then you take your weapon and you start coming to church, what you have done is that you have just worshipped God in spirit and in what? In truth. And this is because you followed the what? The spirits. So you worship in spirit and in truth by following the what? The spirits. Hallelujah. So this is how our reward is going to be given to us. To the degree that we have learned to obey the spirit. So that night you are very tired. All your bones are weak. But he came to you and said, Stand up and pray. He said, Ah, but my legs are paining me. But my waist is paining me. But my hand is paining me. You are complaining. At that moment, you are not though you are in the spirit, but you are not worshipping in spirit anymore. Truth. Amen. So that is the second implication. That we will follow the direction. Because you cannot see the God. His way of leading you is by His Spirit. So now, the moment. So what God always wants to do by His Spirit is to lead you to Himself by His what? Spirit. So when God says, put all your money in the offering bowl, what it implies is that your act of dropping that money into the offering bowl has helped you to encounter God. You did not see Him. You did not see Him physically coming to you. You heard Him in your spirit and then you obeyed. That is what you call an encounter. You have encountered God. Amen. So the moment you disobey that government, you, you lost a great opportunity. You lost a great opportunity. Hallelujah. So, our problem is that can we surrender to the Spirit? Can we surrender to His direction? When we say we are learning to worship God in spirit and truth, it means we are learning to surrender to the directives of the Lord, the Spirit. So now, it is after you have put your offering inside the bowl that you can say that yes, you know God or you have known God. So, this God is not known by seeing because he is invisible. You may see light, you may see everything, but yet you don't know him. He may appear to you in your dream, but yet you don't know him. The proof that you know God is that you are obeying the Spirit. So he says, Stand up, go out. Stood up, he went out. What did Jesus say? 
death. You have known him. So, getting to know God is a lifelong process. Is a what? Is a what? Is a what? Lifelong process. So, even when we get to eternity in heaven, we will still be learning to know this God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you, I hope you are learning something. Now, so if this is the case, if this is the way we know God, that means we must stop ascribing God to a building. We cannot build a building and say this is God. Because we don't know God with our physical eyes. Have you seen it now? We can't build an image and say this is God because we can't know God by our physical eyes. We can't take a cross and say this is God because we can't know God by our physical eyes. Neither can we take anointing oil and say this is God because we can't know God by our physical eyes. So, <laughs> the longest way or the hardest way to know God is by you want to know Him by your physical senses. Do you get it? Amen. Wow. We are getting somewhere. Glory be to God. So now, let's see what's happening. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Acts 17, verse 23. Let's get there. Acts 17, verse 23. It says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare, declare I unto you. Verse 24. Apostle Paul is now about to give them the contents of the characteristics of that unknown God that they claim to be serving. Verse 24. It says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So the physical temple cannot hold God. Because we have made a church. Doesn't mean that the church has held God here. God is not present here because this building is here. So some people, Christians, they still feel that yes, they must be in church before something can happen. Or they must go to that mountain because, because they think that God, the works of hands or temples, they say, ah, 
This our church, the, the moment you enter Solution Center, who tell you that? Jesus Christ said, You don't need to go anywhere. He is not anywhere in you. Hallelujah. God is not with you. These things are not continuing. The only thing, the only part of man that can hold God, that God can occupy, is not the body. If you, the Bible says the body is our body is the temple of God, it doesn't mean God is living in your body. He's just saying it for our own physical understanding. The only part of man that holds God is that spirit. And we said a spirit that cannot be limited by one by space. So it means that they are the same element. So if they are the same element, God can dwell in our spirits. Do you see? He can dwell in our spirits. So now let's continue. So he does not dwell in temples made with hands. Verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands. As though he needed anything. See, he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So God should not be worshipped as if he needs something. God does not need anything. Hallelujah. God is all sufficient, meaning he is sufficient by himself. Hallelujah. It is we men that need something to worship God. So if we say pay offering, it is not as if God needs it. But we need it so we can be able to do things for God. Hallelujah. So the greatest way now of knowing God, it is when His Spirit now says, pay, pay. Or pay your special giving, or pay your offering, and then you cut it in your heart, and then you brought it. That is a sign that you have known God because you have responded to God. So anybody who does not respond to that command, that person doesn't know God. Hallelujah. So when we say God is a spirit, we are saying God is invisible. Say invisible. Invisible. I explained that before, but now I want to delve in. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 27. Hebrews 11, verse 27. Hebrews 11 verse 27. It says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
is talking about Moses, okay? This by faith he forsook Egypt. Who left Egypt? Moses. Not sharing the wrath of the king, he was not afraid of the Pharaoh. He left. For he endured and seeing him who is what? Invisible. So now this Bible calls God what? Invisible. Okay, now go to First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. First Timothy 1, verse 17. First Timothy 1, verse 17. This is usually sung in hymns. It says, Now, unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Now, unto the King immortal, invisible. So when we say God is a spirit, it implies that God actually is one invisible. Can you see your spirit? Can you see your spirit? Have you seen your spirit before? Why can't you see your spirit? Because your spirit is not invisible. So the reason why you can't see God is because God is invisible. So now, If we say God is invisible, then why is Solomon see in the Bible? If the character of God is that He is invisible, then why is it that some people saw Him? Why did they see Him? Or they did not see Him? So, what did they see? Amen. I am asking you a question. So now, let me explain something to you. Those Bible passages that says he revealed himself, we now have to, you know, something in Bible interpretation that the Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible does not contradict itself. Amen. So now, the passages of Scripture that are difficult to interpret. What we are now going to do is that we are now going to interpret those scriptures in the light of those passages whose interpretation is unmistakable. That means there's no mistake in it. So, for example, the true character of God says, God is what? Invisible. So, if we read somewhere that God revealed himself to somebody, we must now understand that thing by the first statement that God is what? Invisible. So, God is invisible must explain that. What is it that Ezekiel saw God? God is invisible. Now, don't worry. I will help you to understand. Don't worry. So now, the scripture clearly portrays God as invisible. But we have some verses 
that shows the appearances of what God. It shows the visible appearances of God. Is that also good? So apart from, I'm not talking about when God became flesh. That one is not part. We are not talking about that. We are not talking about God became flesh. Okay, that's not what we are talking about. We are talking about God is spirit. Okay, we are not talking about God became flesh. When we say God became flesh, that is visible. But when we say God is the spirit, it's what? Invisible. So what about those aspects of people that say they saw God? What happened? Now, let's go to um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel tells us something about it. So if we want to interpret those verses, we must see those verses as what? Visions. We must see that we must see them as what? Visions. So what is a vision? A vision is a symbolic representation of a spiritual reality. You get it? So a vision is a, a symbolic representation of a spiritual reality. So it means that for God to communicate in the language of man, he has to get symbols that are known by the mind of what? Of men. If you see an animal you have never seen before in a vision, what does it tell you? Does it tell you anything? It doesn't tell you anything. So when people saw vision in the Bible, God is communicating to them in a way that they cannot understand because the nature of God is that He is what? Invisible. And since He cannot be seen, He needs to provide a symbolic representation that you would understand because His nature is that He is what? Invisible. Look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel, he saw the sins of God. He saw the appearance of the glory of the Lord. Is that not so? Now, how did Ezekiel know that this thing he seen is a great glory? Because he was seeing the displays and colors of light in, in a glorious form that when we see, we say majestic, majestic. Just now, look at this over here. You can look at it and say, yes, it is nice. So God now wants to represent or show Ezekiel how he is. Now he needs to bring light, colors that Ezekiel cannot understand. And say, mm, this God is what? He's glorious. He's majestic. Amen. We are running off. So, when John the Baptist said, I see the Spirit descend. When John the Baptist said, I see the Spirit descending like a dove. What is it? Symbolic. I see the Spirit 
descending like the world. Because a dog can never mean the spirit. Because the spirit is what? Invisible. So, for God to tell John the Baptist that he is coming, he needs to give him a symbolic representation of what? Do you see? How can you say I saw the spirit? How can what you have said said is the wrong statement? Because spirits are invisible. Amen. We need to continue this next week. Amen. We need to continue this next week. Hallelujah. I hope you have learned something today. Amen. Let's just settle on our feet. And we need to thank the Lord. Let's rise up on our feet. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. My understanding of you, my knowledge of you is increased. 